led by a guy called Todd Hunter. Uh, Todd was, uh, grew up in Southern California. He was part of the Jesus People movement, if any of you were old enough to be part of that story. He went on to be the right-hand man of a guy called John Wimber, who some of you will have definitely heard of. He led the Vineyard Network of Churches for many years. Uh, Bishop uh, Todd then actually got ordained to be an Anglican, which is quite an interesting move, and became head of Alpha in North America. And he's did that for many years before eventually becoming a bishop. And he is going to be our bishop, which basically means that he is my boss. So if uh, anyone wants to talk to Bishop Todd at any point, they are entirely able to reach out to him. But he will be here from time to time. He's going to be around to do Q&As and hopefully will be uh, in the building around April time. Um, but we wanted to introduce you to him today. We thought it was really important. And so um, I managed to, to grab him via Zoom and persuade him to preach. Sadly, he now lives in Franklin, Tennessee, like everybody else who used to live in LA, um, but he is on the video. So I want to uh, encourage you and bless you, and he's going to be bringing this morning the next part of our Luke series to us. So you'll want a pen, you want a paper, you'll want your Bibles open, because this will be fast, it will be deep, it will be challenging. So this is Bishop Todd Hunter with us this morning. Hey, Vintage Pasadena. I am Bishop Todd Hunter, and it is my delight to be with you today from Franklin, Tennessee, just uh, south of Nashville. But I can easily picture you in Pasadena because I was born in Santa Ana and lived all over Orange County for most of my life, so Southern California's home. So it's really fun for me to be here today, though far away. I can so picture you, uh, vintage in Pasadena and what God is doing in and through you. I'm also really happy to join with you this morning in your series in the book of Luke. And our reading this morning comes from chapter 5 and begins in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news spread about him all the more, so that the crowds of people who came to hear him came to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now from this passage this morning, I'd like us to do some work on the notion of power, of where it comes from and which way it's meant to flow. Now just as a backdrop to our passage this morning, there's a picture that's painted in the New Testament of Jesus uh, that goes something like this. This is Acts 10.38. You may remember the passage where Peter uh, is speaking to Cornelius and he says to him, You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. And you know how Jesus, listen to this, Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Or you find these summary passages all throughout Mark, through Matthew. Likely you found one already in your study in Luke. This is a typical summary passage where Matthew writes in uh, chapter uh, 4 that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about Jesus then spread out all over, to, and people brought to him all who were sick with various illnesses, those who were suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. And then Matthew says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan all came to follow Jesus. And you've probably studied this passage in the last week or two, where Jesus said of himself, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the, the, sorry, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And you see, that to which Jesus is self-conscious is that he has been sent from the Father with words to say and teach and deeds to do, all of which are signs of and explain the inbreaking of the kingdom. So that story that we just read about Jesus in the New Testament is what brings us to our passage today. So it says, when Jesus was in one of these towns that he knew that he was called to go to, a man came along who the NIV says was covered with leprosy. Other translations have it full of leprosy. Now, leprosy in New Testament times was a word that described various skin diseases. And so full of or covered with is meant to tell us that this guy had the worst case scenario. And this disease was brutal. Um, we don't really have much that can compare to it. Perhaps the AIDS crisis, uh, you know, in the late uh, 80s, if you think of some of the really terrible things that people thought about AIDS victims and, and AIDS, or maybe a little bit lately with COVID and the kind of ostracization people have or the fear we have about people who have COVID. But for these leprosy um, patients who had it in the worst, as our text says, it was horribly disfigurating, or disfiguring, excuse me, and was almost always fatal. And so these poor lepers were forbidden from approaching people. Again, in a very minor way, we can think of COVID social distancing. They had no way to earn a living. This disease was not only you know, ugly on their body, as you can imagine, but it was defiling. It was shameful. Even though everybody knew that it was no fault of their own, nevertheless, the social pressures, the religious pressures, the relational pressures surrounding these bad forms of leprosy were really horrible. Well, the text says that when this man saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. I think this is probably a sign of this man's self-conscious shame. And he knew that he was always shunned by everybody. But he begs the Lord, Lord, if you're willing, note that word, willing, you can, note that word, can, make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So what's happening here? Well, the leper knows that Jesus has the ability or the power or the capacity to heal because he's been following him around perhaps or has just heard word from other towns. And he knows that Jesus has healed the sick and drove out demons and um, done these amazing, miraculous things. So he knows Jesus can. What the leper's wondering is, would he have anything to do with me? Would Jesus be anywhere near me? Would, would he care about me? I'm, I'm a shame-filled outcast because of my leprosy. And so you notice what he says to Jesus isn't um, precisely, please heal me. 
His request is, you can make me clean. And again, we have to kind of read between the lines here, but I think what's, what we're being alerted to is that this guy didn't just have a disease, he had a dirty disease. He had a disease that not only affected him medically and affected his body, and he probably would, was going to die from it, but he had a disease that affected him socially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, religiously. And, and so he had a, a dirty disease, a disease that made him feel dirty. And he knows that Jesus can make him clean and asks him to do that. Well, now the shocking part of this passage to everybody, whether you're a theologian or you know, just a common reader of the Bible, is that Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. I mean, no one does that. Not only is it against the purity laws, but everybody knew that if you touched somebody with leprosy, you yourself were likely to get sick with this debilitating, shame-filled, fatal disease. So no one got near lepers. They lived in utter isolation and in terrible social depravity. No one would get near them. I just want you to try to feel this this morning. Lepers, once they were diagnosed with this terrible disease, never felt the human goodness of touch likely ever again. And so the alarming thing in this passage, alarming in the good sense, is that Jesus, he just normally spoke words of healing. He would say, rise, get up, be healed. And that would be it. He would just speak. Well, in this case, he doesn't just speak to the leper and say, you're healed. He touches him. Well, why? Because Jesus is answering the prayer, not just that this man would be healed, but that he would be cleansed. And Jesus, is, Jesus knows that a part of this man's disfigurement is not what can be seen on his skin, but it's a disfigurement of his heart. It's a disfigurement of what he thinks people think about him, what he thinks about himself, what he imagines God must think about him. And so Jesus is healing all of that with a touch. His touch, we might say, was worth, worth more than a million words of affirmation. Or just saying to the man, be healed a million times. So if we try to answer the question, this is really interesting to me at least, if we try to answer the question, why did Jesus touch this guy? Well, one answer is, is that Jesus knew which way power would flow. See, Jesus is deeply aware that the Father is with him and in him and moving through him. And so Jesus knows that when he touches this man, it's not likely that Jesus is going to get leprosy. What's going to happen is the power is going to flow. It's not going to be the power of leprosy flowing to Jesus. It's going to be the power of God flowing through Jesus to heal this leprosy and everything that attended to it. And so Jesus says, I am willing. Yeah, he's answering the man. I know you know I have the capacity, but I want you to know I will. I am with you. That part of the sign of, of God the Father being with me, Jesus is saying, is that we do not run from or judge or condemn in the senses that I'm talking about it here, human brokenness. That when somebody comes with the kind of, as I said, total package of brokenness to Jesus, and says, will you make me clean? Jesus says, yes. And so what we see here is really the compassion of the Father being lived out through the Son. And this has been true for God forever. 
Far from keeping distance from an ugly situation, Jesus expressing the heart and love of God here stretches out his hand. And I think there's a really important missional or evangelistic lesson for us to learn here, and it's this. We cannot be the agents of healing, the agents of justice, the agents of peace, the agents of helping people being reconciled to God, unless we too are willing and able to be proximate to human brokenness. Whether that brokenness is theological or God concepts or sexuality or somebody's psychology, we have to ourselves be willing to, in the sense of our passage today, reach out and touch. Well, the passage goes on to say that when Jesus touched the man, the leprosy immediately left him. And Jesus saw these things as signs, signs that God was finally again with humankind bringing full redemption to them. So you'll see this passage in a few weeks or whenever we get to Luke 7, where remember John the Baptist sends some friends to Jesus to say, should I really think you're really the one? And remember Jesus says to them, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. Go tell him that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So for Jesus, he saw this as, of course, an important healing In other words, what happened to this man was enormously important on its own terms. But beyond that, it was a sign that the Father was with Jesus and through Jesus bringing to bear, finally, the rule and reign of God for the good of humanity. But then the passage says, interestingly, that Jesus ordered this leper, don't tell anyone. Now, scholars have mused about what this might mean for forever, and there's no wide consensus on exactly why Jesus said this. The most common um, wonderings about it are that Jesus was trying to keep sort of misguided enthusiasm to a minimum and to keep these miracles from overshadowing the message that God is with you through me. So for Jesus, again, these healings were signs of deeper things. So for instance, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you can know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So that's what I mean about signs. But Jesus Again, this sort of scholarly consensus is is that Jesus was trying to avoid the kind of thing that we see today all over social media, that he wasn't just looking for clicks or or eyeballs. He had already rejected that temptation. You probably studied this in Luke 4. Remember where it says the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment in time and offered him to him. And Jesus said, no, I'm not looking for that kind of public fame. I'm here. He, remember, Jesus says the son can do nothing on his own, but only what the father sent him to do. Jesus routinely said things like, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear him saying. And so this is Jesus's orientation. But nevertheless, the text says the news about Jesus spread more and more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, this is interesting. Just think of the sequence here. A miraculous, there are crowds of people following him. A leper finds him. Jesus heals him. The crowds get bigger. What does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't go on cable TV or, you know, start a new social media account. He withdraws to a lonely place and he prays. There's a very clear rhythm to Jesus's life where he would be alone with God and then out in public calling the disciples. Alone with God, alone with God, 
healing the sick, alone with God, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, alone with God, um, uh, healing diseases and casting out demons. So this, there was this pattern where Jesus, for, we could say for ourselves, was coming the kind of person who would and could use power in redemptive ways. So think about it this way. Think of that famous scene um, in the upper room where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, right? John 13. So what would you do, what would I do, if we knew this was true about us? The text says that Jesus knew that the Father had put, quote, all things under his power. And he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, what would we do if we knew we had that kind of power? I don't know. But I can tell you what Jesus did. He got up from the meal, the text says, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now I get, in early 2022, and for the last number of years, power seems scary. And it is true that power can either inflict evil or deliver people from evil. And we all have enough close-up knowledge of misuses of power that cause many of us to wish that power would just simply go away, that it would vanish from human interactions. Our thinking is that a world without power would be more ethical, more loving, more just. But I think we need to rethink power. Power simply is of God. It's a never-ending part of creation because in God's loving, wise purposes, He determined that power would always be a part of His creation. So the question then is not, is power good? The question for us as disciples of Jesus is, do I have the inner virtue to stand it? Like if God gave me that sort of power, could I live in Jesus' ethic? So this, I think, is the conceptual core when we think about the church and power. Power is only made ethical and effective when it's positioned within and executed in alignment to Jesus' worldview. You know, Jesus' self-consciousness of himself, which gave then rise to Jesus' manner of being in the world, his ethical use of power. So this means that the ethical and effective use of power is tied directly to the transformation of our souls into Christ-likeness. So that as Christians, what we're trying to do is both seek appropriate spiritual power and the character necessary to it. So if you think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and if you think of passage, a passage, for instance, like 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through, chapter 12 through 14, so then you have then the manifestation of the gifts in and through the church, but flowing through the gifts or the character of the Spirit. These are the railroad tracks that I think Christian life and ministry are meant to run on. The fruit of the Spirit being born in us constantly on the one hand, and the power and the gifts of the Spirit flowing through us on another. So that the vision of the New Testament is that we're to be like Stephen. Acts 6.8 says, Stephen was full of grace and power. That is a lovely image for any of us to carry around. I want to be full of God's graciousness. In fact, I can just tell you as your new friend now for 20 minutes that I constantly pray that God would make me a gracious, generous, generative presence. 
I mean, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't pray that prayer. Because my vision is, I want to become the kind of person who whatever kind of power God might give me, whether it's positional or spiritual or whatever, that I would always be the kind of person who would use it for the good of others. So my thinking goes something like this. If Christ is the head of his body, and if Christians are to be in Christ, then power is meant to flow through us, not for our gain, but for the good of others, to heal and liberate and empower and strengthen. As servants of Jesus, we're to use or share power for the common good of all persons who are equally made in the image of God. I think it's a part of kingdom ministry to give special attention to those with little power and diminished voices, just like we saw Jesus do in this passage with the leper. So in conclusion, I want you to think about this. If you can in your mind right now, hold the good that you wish to do in the world. Can you picture that just for a moment? Hold before your mind the picture of good you wish to do in the world, personally and as the church. Now, you want the power to be able to do that. I want you to have the capacity, the ability to do that. And that's all power is. Power is simply capacity. It's ability or agency. And so when we pray for the ability to make a positive difference in Pasadena or in whatever situation we're in, we're actually praying for power and authority to do the good we dream to do. So you see, Jesus, as our model, knew that the power of God was at work with him. Remember, that's what we read in John 13. And his sole priority was to work in harmony with that power of God, to let it flow through him for the healing of the world. So this is my daily life's vision. And I commend it to you just in case it would work for you as a discipline. So moment by moment, I give myself to Jesus as much as I can, literally moment by moment as I go through my day. I never tire of it. It's actually a joy to apprentice myself to Jesus, to learn about power and character and love with the constant prayer that his power and love would lead me to living a life of constant creative goodness for the sake of others. So as I picture you this morning, it's okay. You can ask for more power. Ask for capacity to do do the good you dream to do in Pasadena. It's just that alongside with that, seek more love. Seek more of the deep-seated desire to bring kingdom good to others. And so I leave you this morning with this vision for Vintage Pasadena. That you would be a community that receives and uses the power of God for the sake of the good of others. Amen.